Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Twin Sons Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, joined as always by Amanda, Jesse, and Christian. And today we're going to be talking all about Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. Now, this is the newest Star Wars book to release, and it's by Timothy Zahn, who I feel like is a staple in Star Wars novel writing. And uh, we got a lot more on Thrawn, who to me is one of the most intriguing Star Wars characters that exists. But I kind of want to throw it over to you guys. What were your initial reactions to the book? I think that this book was just a testament to Timothy Zahn making sure that we all know that he is the smartest person in the room because this was a witty, smart, well-written book that it really it pushed you to think harder when you were reading it. I think that's exactly right. And the way we think of Thrawn is we consider him to be the smartest person in the room at all time, especially in book form. And really the brain behind Thrawn is Timothy Zahn. So it's, it's really him kind of flexing the intellect. And it really just made the entire book just inspire critical thinking, which made a really interesting read. Yeah, and I feel like this book, especially being focused on the Chiss and on the Chiss Ascendancy is everything that I've been kind of dying to know about Thrawn and about this secretive alien race that we just kept getting glimpses of um, in the other novels. So I really enjoyed getting all the extra goodness of actually learning about the Chiss Ascendancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first thing that I noticed, even before I read the first page, and Jesse, I don't know if there was anything in the audiobook uh, about this, but there's like um, sort of like they have an, in like playbills, right? They sort of have like uh, the character and who they are. I think they had it in the screenplay um, of the script uh, for Dooku Jedi Lost, sort of just like a, a rubric, a little cheat sheet, if you will, for all the characters and the nine ruling families of the Chiss Ascendancy and at the beginning, which as soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be really <laughs> complex. If there's sort of like a little you know, rubric at the beginning that kind of shows you Everybody in the book, I'm like, man, this is going to be... I'm going to have to refer to this all the time. This is going to be insane. I did refer to it all the time. (laughs) I feel so gypped because there absolutely was not anything like that for the audio book. Obviously, there would be no way for them to... I don't know how that would really work in audio form, so I totally get it. But 
I feel a little bit better now because it is really <laughs> hard to keep up, especially since I do listen to the most time, most of the, of the time when I'm actually commuting to and from work. So it's hard to like focus on driving and really get all these names and locations and things down. But and I know I'm usually the person who like fixes all the pronunciations of all these names, yeah. but I don't know how many I can remember, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that uh, on the beginning because I forgot about it. I I read it on Kindle, so I wasn't able to like flip back and forth. Yeah, really often I have to go back and, and look at it because I felt the same way you did, Jesse. I was lost uh, a few points with all the different characters and titles and all the different families the and the different levels in the different families and like right. <laughs> <laughs> trial born or adopted or what yeah yeah just keeping straight like what the like ranking of all those yes. different rankings were like what's higher what's the lower position it's I a lot keep up with that honestly <laughs> the amount of information they introduced to us in this novel was so full and rich it, I, I had a really hard time keeping everything straight because on top of all of these, it was an almost an entirely new set of characters that were the mains, aside from Thrawn and a couple others that we'll talk about later. But on top of all of that, you have all of these new planets, all of these other new species that are being introduced, and it was like not oh, to system mention overload. Yeah, <laughs> not to mention going back and forth in time at the same yeah. time. <sighs> <laughs> that was that got my goat a little bit. I had a hard time with that. <laughs> Timothy Zahn really likes to make a point of having different timelines and having things go on at different times and have them all mesh together. And for a while, at least for me, I was like, okay, well, I get that the memories chapters sort of coincide with what's going on in the regular part of the book. But obviously, the more you read through it, the more it makes sense and the more everything connects. But you also got to remember, this is the first book in a trilogy, I believe it was confirmed as a trilogy, right? Not a series, it's a trilogy. So oh, yeah. it's what? Uh, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think it oh, okay. is confirmed as a trilogy. Okay. So, you know, you got a lot of you got a lot of building that you're going to do and, and creating and, and, and setting the stage. I mean, we had, had other Thrawn books, but, I mean, this is really the first time where we get to see the Chiss homeworld and to learn about the ruling families of the Chiss and, and that whole backstory so mm -hmm. you know it is a little confusing but i think that it was good that they had that little cheat sheet in front of the book and uh you know gotta remember it's it's the beginning so hopefully as the novels continue we'll get a little bit more comfortable with all of that stuff i kind of hope that going forward in the next book they have um along with the kind of little key that they give us with the different families that they give us like family trees. Yeah. Cause when I read, uh, the game of Thrones series, a song of ice and fire, they actually gave you like some of the family tree information so that you could keep it all straight. <laughs> and that, that, would was be nice that would be really helpful. All these different the names popping up. Yeah. yeah. Like to know where they all relate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That'd be really helpful. And I will say, I think reading or listening to the audiobook has its advantage in that way, where if I couldn't keep their names straight, I could at least keep the voices straight. So I was like, oh, that's that guy. Like, even if I didn't know his name, I had at least voices to pair to all these different characters to help mm -hmm. differentiate. 
Well, let's get into start talking about some of these characters. Now, obviously, we'll talk about Thrawn and Aralani, who have been in multiple books, but I kind of want to talk about some of the new characters first. So in this book, we have a couple new Chiss, Thalias, and Jesse, you can tell me at any point if I pronounce these wrong, because, you know... Thalias. Thalias. Yes. Thalias. I said it wrong in my head the whole yeah. time. I was saying oh, Thalias. I was thinking, yeah, Thalius. Yeah. Thalius? Yes. Thalius. Okay. And then I always pronounced it Sherry as I was reading it, but it's probably like Chirai or something like that. How did Cheery. 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 Like you're happy. Cheery. 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 Yeah. Cheery. Cheery. Not how I thought it either. So we have Thalius and Cheery. Yes. I will probably say Thalias as we continue to talk. Uh, we'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So these are, honestly, these were some of my favorite parts of the book with these two in them um, and the relationship that they had, obviously knowing that Thalius was previously a Skywalker and uh, Chiri is a current Skywalker and the bond that they have, I mean, Chiri hasn't really had a momish that really understood her, that she liked, they come and go. And Thalius kind of was this one that, you know, understood everything uh, with the the Skywalker kind of idea and, and what they did. So what did you guys think of not only the introduction of these characters, but their bonds together? I absolutely loved Cheery. Uh, I kind of talk about it in the book review that I'm working on, but I think in Timothy Zahn's novels, for characters, his strength is really applying depth and understanding to characters versus having us have an emotional connection to them. But... With Cheery, I had a pretty strong emotional connection. I really, really cared about what happened to her. I was really um, kind of in agony when I was worried about her. I mean, near the end of the book, you don't fully know if she's okay. I'm not the only, I don't know if I'm the only one that thought she might have died um, at the end. Maybe that was just me overthinking it. But I was also very, very happy when things were going well for her. So I thought her addition um, was really important to the novel. Yeah. And I feel that um, her relationship with Thalius was so amazing to read for me. And how Thalius not only understood what what Cheery was going through, but also made the extra effort as an adult to be like, yeah, I remember what this was like when I was her age. I remember all of the people going over my head and just like not telling me anything and completely cutting me out of the equation aside from what their expectation of what I should do is. And it was the most infuriating thing. So I'm going to level with this kid Mm -hmm. because she is a, she's a being, a sentient being with feelings and hopes and fears and anxieties and you know, likes, dislikes, so she treated her like a person. And that was really, really great to see as their relationship grew. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think he captured just that, like, childhood, like, struggle of what it's really like to be in the mind of a, of a young child like that who's under this insane pressure that in our own world we would never put kids under. Um, but it's kind of common for the Star Wars world um, with getting brought up as like a Jedi. So I thought it was cool when you kind of think of it as, you know, what if she was, you know, a Padawan? Like, is that mm-hmm. the same amount of pressure that mm-hmm. these young Padawans are going through too? And I feel like that's really the first we've got like a intense like look at what it's like to be like a force user it, uh, from this young of age. Um, 
which is really cool. And I just, I loved Cheery as an introduction to what Force users are for the Chiss. I think that's what her and Thalius, what really held my interest it was that I was just trying to figure out what is it like to be a Force user in, you know, the outer the outer stretches of the galaxy and in the chaos. And I, I just have so many questions for how all of that works. How do midi-chlorians work for them? I don't know if that's a different part of this <laughs> podcast. So I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, with um, Thalius, thought that she did a fantastic job because really, I mean, she her goal, her ultimate goal was to get aboard Thrawn's ship, right? She wanted to get closer to Thrawn and get back to him after their initial meeting. And um, the way to do that was to become this caregiver. And she still put everything she had into Cheery and trying to do what was best for her and uh, taking care of her. And, you know, even when she was leaving uh, to kind of hand select her caregiver while she was gone. So I think... You know, I think she did a great job, despite the fact that she wasn't necessarily her prime reason for being bored. Let's start talking a little bit about some of these other characters that we got. Yiv the Benevolent. Now, this is sort of like the main bad guy, the main rival. And Jesse, when you were trying to spell this in a in a, a message to me. Um, I had no idea what you were talking about because the way that it was spelled and the way that you were trying to spell it were not the same. I was like, what is she talking about? So how do you say the Nicardoon destiny? Is that how you s- Yeah. Nicardoon? Yep. The Nicardoon. Nicardoon. It sounds like a Girl Scout cookie. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> a pretty good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And so Thrawn's worried that this Nicardine destiny is going to take over. They're sort of, you know, conquering all of these planets and all of these uh, areas uh, within the chaos. And the chaos, by the way, you know, when I first heard the the title of the book, I'm like, oh man, there's going to be a lot of war happening. Chaos is rising. But the chaos is actually, and this is how they describe it in the book, twisted hyperspace lanes and ever-changing pathways that slowed travel and stunted trade caused by a series of chained supernova explosions. This causes masses of hyperspace lanes to move constantly and makes travel difficult. So it protects the Chiss from invasion, but it slows intelligence and recon. So I had no idea that the, that the chaos was actually something in space and... Physical? Yeah in the Star Wars story. Uh, But what did you guys think of this villain? I thought it was kind of funny to watch him um, as he progressed towards the end of the book, getting a little unglued over there. Yeah. I mean, Thrawn did what Thrawn does. And watching the main villain just kind of spiral out and then Thrawn being, you know, the hero of the story as opposed to how we know him in Rebels... Mm-hmm. That was really, really incredible to watch him using his forces to save people. Yeah, I love seeing him just completely unravel at the end. I mean, he's <laughs> so confident that final confrontation started. He thought all the cards were in his hand. He had the Pathfinder, which I probably won't come close to saying his name right. How do you say his name, Jesse? Oh, Kilori. Kilori. Oh, yeah. Kilori. 
Yeah. He had Kilori with Thrawn, so he is so confident. And then Thrawn is just this whole time, just hands behind his back. I'm sure super confident and calm, so he knows exactly what's going to happen, and just getting under his skin the whole time. And he just ended up having angry outbursts and completely unraveled and broke down. So I definitely agree. It was really cool <laughs> to kind of see that. At the end. But it was definitely an interesting villain because he thought he was Thrawn's. Superior, yeah, and it did not happen that way at all. The ending was so funny too because when Thalius and Cherry were aboard the Deathless, and Thrawn like comes over there, he's like, "I want you to be over here so you could watch them die in person." And then he's like, "Well, actually, it doesn't matter if you want to stay there. I could shoot you from here too, you know." And then he just gets like, <laughs> Thrawn's like, "Well, we could, you know." Which one do we want? Like, then, I could show up, make up your mind, you know? Um, you keep changing it. Yeah. do anything. <laughs> yeah. But I think he was a very interesting character. Now, he had these, like, weird symbiotes that could detect poison. And I really like the fact that Timothy Zahn brings in that detail. Kind of an interesting tidbit. Okay, I've been meaning to ask, what is a symbiote? It is... <laughs> Like like midichlorians are symbi- like symbionts. They are an organism that needs another living organism in order to survive. Yeah, they okay. need a host. Yeah, yeah. So they're parasites. It's like venom with uh, Eddie Brock. <laughs> okay. It's like bioluminescence, like <laughs> little bacteria too that like need a fish to survive, and the fish uses those little bacteria to glow and it's like a it's an advantage it's a tactical advantage mutually yes beneficial yeah i feel better now i'm like i just i don't know what that means and (laughs) (laughs) so obviously that you know it's it's just another cool thing to kind of add to the story and give us as readers more of a picture of what's happening in the world of star wars Mm-hmm. Um, this book really brought a lot of complexity to the Chiss and the Syndics, and we get a couple of the Syndics here that really have more of a role than some of the other ones. Thurfian, is that right, Jesse? Yep. Thurfian and Zestalmu? Pretty much. That's as best as I could do, I think, too. Zestalmu? Okay. Zestalmu? He's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> And so obviously we have all of these, you know, families within the within the um, the syndicure and the Chiss ascendancy, and some of them are rival families. But really, I mean, Zestalmu and Thurfian, their only goal is to kind of bring Thrawn down. They can tell that he's going to be the the end of the Chiss, and they think he's going to create all these issues. And he keeps breaking the rules, but then. He, like, gets promoted and, you know, all this crazy stuff happens. They can tell that somebody in power was there to, you know, the patriarchy handpicked Thrawn for the myth family. So what did you guys think about this complexity and kind of adding in the syndicure and the way that they sort of treated Thrawn throughout the novel? It was kind of reminiscent to me of how people in the Empire looking forward at Thrawn's um, military history kind of discounted him and thought he was a wild card and treated him differently because of station. Um, And I I just, I feel like these characters are afraid of change 
And that's what Thrawn represents. So they are so just over the top against the fact that he will bring change, whether it be good or bad, he certainly will bring change. And that's where that comes is the fear. I think that's a really good point that they know, I keep talking about whether good or bad, Thrawn is going to push the ascendancy in either direction. They just don't know where exactly that will go. I think you're exactly right. It's very similar to the Empire where everyone's trying to kind of keep him down. But um, like Eric said, he keeps rising in ranks despite it. And that's especially interesting because he is so bad at politics. <laughs> Usually how people rise in ranks is because they're good with politics, good with people, they know how it works. But he's just that good at what he does, that even though everyone's trying to keep him down, they mm-hmm. can't. And it's kind I- of a testament to his genius. Mm-hmm. Right, and I feel like each in each place he's had someone that, that allows him to navigate well enough and keep saving him. Like Eli Vantos was his savior mm-hmm. in the Empire, and it's cool to see how much Aralani is really a part of him kind of understanding what's going on in the Ascendancy. She kind of <laughs> holds him together and saves his butt multiple times. Yeah. Um, so it's he always needs that that navigator since he is so terrible at politics. Yeah, I definitely agree with with everything that you guys said. Now, we talked a little bit about him, uh, Kilori. He is Kilori of Undualan. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. remember. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he's a pathfinder, and it's very interesting that uh, because of this chaos. You know, you need people to be able to kind of navigate through the difficult, the difficult space. And so he uses this great presence to kind of get through and navigate. And this is, he uses, he goes into like this trance um, and he wears sound blocking headsets and things to go through. And it, you know, it's something very similar to the Skywalkers of the Chiss. So We'll talk about Kilori specifically in a second, but Jesse, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier with the Skywalkers and even with Kilori, this great presence. To me, as, as soon as I felt, or as soon as I read the word great presence, that made me think of the Force, you know, that's just everywhere. It's this all-encompassing energy field that's everywhere and, and, and uh, you know, helps guide you and do all that stuff, but... Let's talk a little bit about Great Presence and Third Sight and the ability of the Skywalkers and Navigators to kind of do their thing. Now, they don't seem to have the powers that the Jedi have, right? Like, can't seem to, like, jump really high or, or levitate or run really fast or anything like that, but they have this ability to navigate. And Christian, when you were first uh, asking me, you're like, oh, do I need to read the other Thrawn books? I'm like, well, this one's a prequel, so probably probably don't need to. But as I was reading this, I'm like, crap, I probably should have told him to read the other ones. And I know you've read, I know you've read at least the first one. I don't know if you've read the mm-hmm. other, the other two of that trilogy. I started the second one. Okay. But there will be a lot of things and I don't want to spoil too much, but we'll have to talk about one part specifically that really relate to the other books. And you get a lot more on what the Skywalkers are and things like that. So what did you guys think of the navigator's ability and the Skywalker's ability to kind of do their special navigating powers. It was just really cool to see how the force, assuming that it is a force is used in other parts of the galaxy. 
because they might not be fully aware of what it is and what it can provide. Um, obviously, where they are, they need they have this need for navigation. So that's where they apply the skill. But you mentioned they're not able to like jump really high or manipulate objects with the force. That could just be because you never felt that need, never felt the need to try that. So I'm wondering if um, Chiri in the next couple of books maybe starts to learn more of what she can do with the force. I'm not sure if that will happen, but it's definitely an opportunity that Zahn could, um, he could run into that. Yeah. I think it's just really incredible how Star Wars weaves from, you know, corner of the galaxy to corner of the galaxy from species to species, different presentations of the force. Like Maz Kanata has this deep connection with the force we had a character in Force Collector whose name is evading me. Car. Car. He had another kind of connection to the Force, um, where if he touched an object a lot like Cal Kestis, he saw the past of that object and all the feelings that came with that specific moment in memory. Um, it's just, it's really incredible to see. And also, there was a different way of using the Force in... Oh, gosh, what was the junior novel? Resistance Reborn? Spark of the Resistance. Spark of the Resistance. Um, There were these little rabbit-like aliens that Mm. also could, through Mm -hmm. the Force, make a different kind of... Was it sound? They used sound almost to create imagery. Mm -hmm. And that was another representation of just how complex the Force actually is. And how little we've even begun to understand because we just see the Jedi who kind of have mm-hmm. a full tool belt full of magic tricks and sparkly sabers and awesomeness. So I'm also wondering if genetically there's something that happens mm-hmm. with the Chiss uh, women because they're the only ones that have the ability, only the females. And by the time they get to 14 years old, most of them no longer have that ability. So... When you are a young female, maybe there's something genetically, maybe your midichlorians are are skyrocketed up, and then once you get to mm-hmm. a certain age, they begin to dwindle or something like that. I think it has something to do um, with puberty, too, when they come of age, maybe. Mm-hmm. It could be. I This is like the most interesting part of the book to me, is yeah. just thinking about how <laughs> the Force works for them. So I just kept thinking about it as like, because we know that midichlorians are like a microscopic life force that is has a symbiotic relationship um, with the Star Wars galaxy as we know it. But I wonder if it kind of works the same way kind of evolution would work in our own planet where like if something gets far enough away from, you know, if it evolves far enough out and away from this one t- subset of species and now we're in a totally different part of the galaxy, would... Is it even a midichlorian anymore? Is it something that's evolved and now kind of works Mm. different ways in, you know, the chaos? Is it something that has certain relationships with only certain, if that makes sense, like, is it just a completely different organism out here that interacts with them in a different way? And that's why they don't have the same abilities as the greater part of the galaxy as we know it but i wonder if even if it's a diff if it's not a metachlorian if it's still the force though because technically the force is supposed to flow through everything right so is it just a different representation i wonder if it's because 
I wonder if the force, you know, it can work through different microorganisms. Like if it's all midichlorians, and maybe this is just a slightly different version of midichlorian that doesn't have the same amount of power necessarily to channel the force in the, the way that we know it. dwindle sooner. Right. Like it's maybe they just don't have as strong of a relationship or maybe they're, they don't have, maybe they have a lot lower levels of midichlorian counts just out in the galaxy. And for some reason, just women have this, you know, a greater ability to, to have more midichlorians or have a greater connection to their midichlorians, but still not to the same extent as we know it, unless it all boils down to training. Is it because the in you know the greater galaxy they view it as a religion and they work so hard to develop it that it's the reason that it works that way in in the galaxy as we know it and and or has it just because they have this great need of navigation and that's such a huge part of what living out in that the outer regions is is that necessity is that just how it evolved in them because that was their greatest need for a genetic advantage was to be able to navigate and i guess i don't know if that makes sense because i don't know because every species seems to have something similar we have these pathfinders who seem to be various species if if i understood correctly so maybe just the force manifested itself in that way because they had a need for navigation whereas that's not as necessary in i keep calling it the greater galaxy i don't know what else to call lesser space (laughs) (laughs) yeah well one thing that i kind of wrote down in my notes uh was that skywalkers were not given a choice to do what they do you know, it's very similar to Jedi. They're taken when they're young to go off and be Jedi at the temple and, and things like that. You know, they were taken at a young age and just raised to do that. And that's very similar to what these Skywalkers do. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Skywalkers are meant to be a secret from other species. And while the Jedi aren't necessarily secrets, they at one point uh, for many years are considered to be myths. And people just don't believe that they were true and and things like that. So while they're not exactly the same, I feel like there's a lot of similarities there. And so that was kind of just interesting to make those comparisons for me. Yeah. And what I find odd about that structure, especially within the Chiss, because like, yes, the Jedi take them away from their parents and they forego their families and live their life for the Jedi Order, blah, blah, blah. The Chiss take them, use them until their, you know, magic powers run out, essentially. And then they reintegrate them, not back with their own family, but let people kind of vie for them mm-hmm. and pick them for a new family. So that's, it's it's very, very strange to me how their structure is as a society. It must be devastating for the parents and his family and the Skywalkers, knowing that they're taken away, they're still staying kind of um, within the ascendancy. But yeah, you'd think they'd be, kind of reunited later because i'm sure the family wants them back but it's interesting never get reunited no like they could be walking down the street and pass by their adult skywalker child and Mm -hmm. never know because they've been rehomed basically (laughs) they also just have a completely different family construct like it doesn't matter where you're born like everything comes off of a 
tactical advantage and a political advantage. That is like what they hold highest in their society to the point where if you align yourself, like it's equivalent to aligning yourself with a political party and not just calling yourself one side or the other, but saying like, that is your family. Like that, like they're that deeply connected to their, that's as much as I can equate it, like their political party in their Mm -hmm. world, that it's now their family. And like, that's just where their values are, I guess, like biological doesn't mean as much to them in that way, maybe. I felt really bad for Thalius when she, I think it was her, yeah, yeah, it was her because Thrawn came up and talked to her after in the memories chapters when she felt like her powers were dwindling and her time was up. It's like that's that was her job. That's all that she's been there to do and and her powers were dwindling and, you know, that's got to be real devastating to any Skywalker when you realize mm-hmm. your time's up. Because that was the one thing that gave you a sense of purpose and worth. That's what you were, were mm-hmm. revered for in your society. Yeah. So they create this unrealistic expectation and put you on this pedestal, and then you see it the legs starting to crack. I wonder, too, if the amount of pressure that that's put on them and how, like you said, unrealistic they are about you know the what did they call them the um not dizzy spells but overload overload like the overload Mm -hmm. spells um they constantly put these kids into a point where they were completely just overwhelmed and and could not lift their own bodies out of their chairs to you know they they overworked these kids so i wonder if that has something to do with the young age that the the power dwindles like if they treated them and gave them more rest and didn't put them under such mm-hmm. high stress Could we get if it would child labor laws yeah. <laughs> the, the jedi need that too i think <laughs> <laughs> agree all right guys let's talk a little bit about thrawn and arlani um you know these characters arlani's been in multiple books um thrawn obviously has been multiple books and and we've gotten to know him throughout a lot of years of reading Star Wars by Timothy Zahn. Obviously, we have him in Star Wars Rebels as well. And so we know a lot about this character. We know he's very smart. We know he's very tactical. We know he's not very good at politics. And we know that people within the Chiss Ascendancy have mixed views on him. And, um, you know, what we see in book one of the Thrawn trilogy, the, the canon one that Zahn did within a few years ago, Um, we see where his story goes as he continues on. But I found it interesting that we kind of get a little bit more on Thrawn's backstory. We find out that he had a sister that was a Skywalker, which is kind of interesting to me. And we find that his name was originally Kivranuru, or Vran, Vuran, before he became adopted into the Myth family. So let's talk a little bit about Thrawn. What did you guys think? Were there anything that stood out to you uh in within Thrawn's character in this one he was softer he was a lot softer there were there were moments that you did not get in rebels there was not that element of cutthroat at least not that we saw in rebels um in this book he was a lot more compassionate and empathetic, and he wanted to build up Sherry, or Cheery. He wanted to build up Cheery and Thalius 
and help them reach their own fuller potentials outside of what they had initially seen you know and showed them that they were being short-sighted and then that they were that they were worth more so i absolutely loved when he actually spent the time to teach Cherie to to fly and he kind of was able to understand that that was where some of her fears were coming from um in her dreaming as well is that her fear of kind of, of flying because she didn't know how and that learning would actually help her and that ended up really helping her character. So just being good with kids is not something I expected from Thrawn. But, I mean, it was kind of comparable, Thrawn and Cheery, especially when they went on their mission together. It felt to me a little bit like uh, Mando and the child. Yeah. <laughs> Our natural pairing that somehow worked out really well. And he was being such a great dad. <laughs> when you, you look at the pairing, and you would never expect that. Yeah, I feel like... All of these novels, you know, after watching, you know, Rebels especially, like Amanda said, like he's just, just pure evil feeling in in Rebels, and and, and now these novels getting all of this background for him. I feel like I've asked you guys this in every podcast we've done for these books: is is like is Thrawn really a good guy? Like, do we just see him? from the Empire viewpoint and, you know, we know and love the rebels and therefore anyone who goes up against them is bad. And we know he did some bad things in rebels. There's definitely no, you know, (laughs) there's no excusing the way he acted in rebels, but innately he just seems like he's a good guy to me. And I don't know if I should just even stop trying to put him in a good guy, bad guy box because maybe he just doesn't fit into either of those. He's just yeah. Thrawn. But like, yeah, like seeing him like teach Thalius about hope and telling her to choose her own path and kind of like also transforming the way Arlani sees alien races. Like she told him that she, he allowed her to view them as people and not lesser beings, even though he barely thinks about them as people. He thinks about them as, you know, allies or enemies and he sees them purely tactically, but he still is like, even while he's doing that, is teaching everyone around him to be more, to have more empathy and to to think about the world that they live in in different ways. It's, I I just can't help but just see nothing but good in him in this. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because we're seeing things from his, from not the rebel's point of view. Is it is it a certain point of view? Is Thrawn just a good guy? Or does he just not belong in either of those boxes? I don't think he belongs in either of those boxes. Because he was downright sinister in Rebels. <laughs> he was a bad guy. No other way to cut the cake. He did awful, terrible, heinous things. That, like, you can't, you know, just gloss over that because he's mm-hmm. being a good daddy in, these, in the book. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yes, he was a great space daddy to Cheery, and it was heartwarming in a really uncomfortable, weird way. But he was still a really, really bad guy in Rebels. And I I just don't think he fits into any one box. I think that he is for the Ascendancy and for the Chiss, period. So he will be for his people, and Cheery at that moment needed him to be her person. So he did that. I, I don't think he would do it for anyone in the Empire. No, and it also got me thinking because at the end, or towards the end, I think he's like talking to Aralani about how he hopes he gets the chance to to one day figure out how to understand 
politics. And I know that we're kind of going to be building to a point where he either gets banished or we find out that he, you know, was never actually. And it was all, you know, a scam. I don't know. But (laughs) I, I wonder if him joining the Empire was his, like, you know, this is the one thing I haven't figured out is political structure. So maybe I go do that over here where Palpatine is like the height of political tactics. That is his entire character, mm-hmm. Palpatine. So he went and found the guy who is the best at political tactics to learn from him. Maybe that's my thought. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's finish up here. We've got a couple major things that I want to talk about, and then we'll we'll kind of get into thoughts um, about the book as a whole. But there's one scene in this book, and Christian, if you are reading currently Thrawn Alliances, um, which also jumps back and forth between timelines. Um, I'm assuming you've probably already gotten to the part that we had in this book, but it was sort of like really surprising to me that we got part of Thrawn Alliances in this book. I believe it's in the first couple chapters of Thrawn Alliances, but um, that whole scene with, with Thrawn and Anakin and Duja and Batu and sort of that whole interaction, I mean, that five-week period, they say that uh, Chiri and Thrawn were gone for five weeks. That's essentially the you know Clone Wars portion of Thrawn Alliances. Now we get the whole story in, in the alliances, and we, you know we skip over that whole time on Batu in this book. But it was really cool for me to kind of see that crossover. Mm-hmm. And I like that we got some of what was going on on Thrawn's end um, in that conversation because we heard, or we heard, we read everything from Anakin's point of view. Mm -hmm. And then we get to hear the opposite. And he's, you know, having other side conversations. And it's just, it's really funny when you pair them up against each other. Yep. Definitely good. Probably one of my favorite parts of this whole book. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually have not gone to that part yet. When I say I just started Alliances, I just started it. I'm so, so sorry. Reading... <laughs> no, 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 totally fine. There's no like real spoilers. Okay. But I'm like, when I was, I was reading Ascendancy and I got to that part, I was like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anakin. And then it was over like the next page and never even started. So I'm glad there actually is um, an actual mission in Alliances I get to read. That yeah. felt pretty robbed and cheated in this book. <laughs> You're like, it's like a shiny golden coin and then it's gone. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, why give us Anakin if you're not going to do with it? Well, now you have a lot to look forward to as you continue <laughs> I on. do. Yeah. Spoiler alert. All right, guys, let's wrap this up here. We have one other major thing that I definitely want to talk about. So we talked a little bit about Quilori. And at the end of the book, we get something really crazy with his character. He's sort of jolted out of this great presence trance that he's in. The ship is basically empty, and um, he gets uh, over a speaker, the bridge speaker. He gets uh, a voice of this character that uh, essentially is telling him that he's going to destroy the Chiss and all this stuff and wants to essentially like recruit Kilori to help him. Um, and what's interesting to me is that we don't really know who this is. And Kalori's like, may I, if I can't have your name, oh, so he's like, 
Forgive the interruption in your journey, but I wish to speak with you in private. Kilori says, of course. And then he says, yes, I may ask your name. And the guy says, you may not, the voice said calmly. Tell me about Yiv the Benevolent. So it's this <laughs> voice. And then Kilori says, if I can't have your name, can you at least tell me what to call you? And the voice says, Jixtus. You may call me Jixtus. Make a good note of that name. So, any thoughts? Is this something that you you think we know this character and this is sort of just like an alias? Or is this going to be a brand new character? I think it's going to be a brand new character. I can tell you that the voice, which I don't know if they would have made it a spoiler, you know, if it was somebody, we, it was really recognizable voice. I don't know if they would have purposely tried to hide it in the audiobook or not, but it sounded completely unlike any voice like it wasn't like Palpatine or like mm. like anything like that um, or Snoke even it just sounded like a big deep different voice so I think it's somebody totally new yeah yeah I think it's someone totally new too I think thinking about Mandalorian we're all hoping these returning characters like Ahsoka Bo-Katan will be in it but it's really great the show has been great because it introduced us new characters so I think part of me really wants uh, this new villain to be someone we know but I think it's going to be someone brand new, and I think we're going to come to love that character as a villain, hopefully, in the last two novels. We've had years and years and years and years of Palpatine being the puppet behind the, or the man behind the puppet, and, you know, a, the Wizard of Oz, essentially, of everything. <laughs> and I am super ready for someone totally different. Although I think mm-hmm. it would be a little bit ironic if they never mentioned him again in either of the next books. Like, make a note of this name. (laughs) I'm sure they will. (laughs) But it would be funny. (laughs) No, but I do not think that he's anyone that we've gotten before and that this is kind of... I think because in prior books... Sorry, Christian, I don't know if you've read this yet. um, In the books where... um, Sorry, in the first Thrawn trilogy, we see Palpatine... Fearing something out in wild space, out, Mm -hmm. you know, past where he can see, and this is driving him nuts, and he's not sure what it is, and I think it's this guy. Right, and Thrawn, too, is, like, out seeking alliances, you know, in some of the other novels, like, Mm -hmm. to help the Chiss, and we see that's something that he's starting to do now in this book. We're seeing him start seeking alliances as well. And we know that's why he sought out the Empire, hoping that one day they could be an ally to the Chiss as well. So maybe this is kind of that big bad that the Ascendancy really needs help with. Yeah. Well, it's definitely an interesting twist. I I always get excited as I gear up to hit the last chapter and the last page because I know there's going to be something exciting at the end like even with uh shadow fall at the end now jesse hasn't read those yet so i'm not gonna say what it was but there was a interesting last sentence was like oh my gosh but um (laughs) (laughs) definitely an interesting book and i can't wait to get more of the uh thrawn ascendancy series it's it's uh very interesting to me one more thing though that super interesting From the very beginning, before the prologue, that little quip at the beginning that's like 4,000 years, and it's like a short like introduction to the book. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So in the audiobook, 
that is read for sure in Palpatine's voice. Interesting. So I don't know Ooh. if that was made a note of at all in the book or anything, but nope. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that this is a new trilogy all about, you know, the Chiss and the Ascendancy, and yet Palpatine is is there. Like, I can't hear that voice as anything other than Palpatine, and I don't know why they would have chosen to... It, it had to be purposeful. The way this mm-hmm. guy... This guy is such a good... Um, what's his name? Oh, let me find it. It's, um... Mark Thompson? Mark Thompson, yes. He, Thrawn, I I thought he was actually the voice actor for Thrawn at first, and I had to Google his name and realized it wasn't, because he does such a good Thrawn, such a good Vader in the earlier books, such a good Anakin, and that was, that was Palpatine in the beginning. Interesting. So, he's still there. We'll see what that means. (laughs) All right. Well, we got one uh, person that wanted their thoughts said on the podcast. Connie, she basically said, since reading the other Thrawn books, I have always wondered how the relationship with Aralani began and if they truly had a trusted relationship, as I hoped they would have. The other books indicate that their history ran deep, so learning about their history and how they grew into a one-two punch with the Chiss military ranks was enjoyable. I still very much enjoy Thrawn as a person. He's such a great mix of... Uh, being this brilliant mind that no one can figure out while still being able to be kind, loyal, respectful, and always wanting to do the right thing. I pull for him always, and it was good to get better background on why the Ascendancy sees him as such a threat and why he only has the Ascendancy's best interests at heart. She's like, oh my gosh, the chapter where Thrawn interacts with Anakin was fantastic. It tied to our other book reading and all that we read about regarding those events with the book Anakin, um, Black Spire Outpost, brilliant. So um, I agree with all of that. I think this book really, especially tying with the other books, that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars is the cohesiveness, right? When you have a story and then it overlaps and it meshes with another story, I love that. And I love how they continue to do that in this one as well. Any final thoughts from you guys on Thrawn Ascendancy, Chaos Rising? Well, I love it. I've only read um, the first Thrawn book but i've seen some people say it's their favorite thrawn novel and i think it's my favorite so far so yeah did an excellent job with this one yeah. and i'm really excited mm-hmm. for the rest of the trilogy i really love how different it is and it seems how different it's going to be from the typical star wars book that we get yeah i'm just really excited to be in a totally different part of the star wars galaxy and getting to really start to learn about all that all this outer you know edges and and outer regions of star wars that have been previously unexplored and really getting into all of that and knowing Mm -hmm. what's behind the the scary outer reaches of the galaxy i'm excited because i love what you said earlier eric that it's like uh, like it was basically world building all over again so it feels like we're you know rebuilding this other part of the galaxy and i'm excited to to have all these big words down and in my head and i'm ready <laughs> for the next book so it'll be easier next time <laughs> yeah well there's a big gap it's not like when we were reading the first thrawn trilogy with book club yeah. we had bang 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 all right in a row now we have to wait I'm going to have to probably listen to this podcast and read through my notes again before the next one since it's so such a complex story, but I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, Amanda, what's coming up in October? 
In October, we are going to be reading Phasma by Delilah Dawson. And I am so stoked. Yeah. So I know that we get a little bit more on Vi Marathi and that one who we read all about in Black Spire. So it'll be interesting to get more on Phasma's character and see how everything uh, meshes in with Vi Marathi as well. So that'll be exciting. Have you read that one, Christian? Phasma? I have not, but I purchased it a couple of months ago. So it's been sitting in my bookshelf. So I'm really glad I'll get a chance um, to make time to read it. Nice. I know Jesse's read it, but it'll be a good refresher. It's so good, and I love Phasma, and I I know we didn't get much of her, so this book really is cool to get a lot more Phasma information. It's it's great. I can't wait for you guys to read it. (laughs) Nice. All right, Amanda, if people want to follow us on social media, where can they do that? All right, guys, we are available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now YouTube as well, all under the handle of at Twin Sons Outpost. You can find our book club under TSO Book Club as well on Facebook and Twitter. And Christian, you have been with us for, what, a couple months now? Um, you've got book reviews. You've read a ton of book reviews. I'm very impressed with... Uh, you know, the amount that you've read and the reviews that you've written. So people can obviously find all of your book reviews on twinsonsoutpost.com. But if they want to kind of get in touch with you personally, where can they do that? I can do that on Twitter. Uh, my at is underscore CC baseball. All right. Awesome. Definitely check out those reviews, guys. We've got a lot more coming as well. If you enjoyed this episode and you think we're pretty wizard, go ahead and give us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the book club podcast on Thrawn for the month of September. Of course, we'll be back next month in October with Phasma. If you want to go back and check out some of our previous ones, you can find all of our episodes, all of our podcasts on our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left-hand side. You'll find all of them there. We're also available on iTunes and uh, the Star Wars podcast app through the Google Play Store. So thanks so much, everyone, and we'll see you again in October. And may the Force be with you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. controlled by the huts. I'll meet you at the rendezvous point on Potterway. Son, you are mother to me, I think.